All-Star Weekend is over and it's time for the second half of the NBA season. Patrick and I are going to be ranking our top contenders today. Let's get into foul trouble. Here's where it gets real. It gets really, really real right now. It gets super real. Yeah, so I kind of like always think these are going to be the most fun episodes. We're like, let's go rank the teams. And then like I rank like my my top two, my top three. And I'm like, how do I actually put an order for some of these teams? Like how do I actually, you know, random two, how do I delineate between the, the Suns and the Knicks? Like how do I how do I parse between which of those teams is better? Yeah, I feel like... Part of it we were talking about comes down to like who would win in a playoff series, which for like Suns and Knicks, so hard to say because <laughs> yeah. we don't get to see them play against each other. I still do feel like there's this weird like, I don't know, line of demarcation of like Eastern teams and Western teams. They like play so different. Also, w- something I found myself thinking about a lot is like if I'm ranking these teams in terms of championship equity – it's a lot easier to come out of the East and win the championship than come out of the, the West that is just like an absolute crapshoot yeah, and, w- and win the championship. So I, I definitely did use that, like weighed that a, a little bit in times where I had tiebreakers. Um yeah, I don't know. Was what what else did you struggle with with this exercise? Uh, I struggled with um my number 11 team, which I, I just seeing the number 11 next to them, I'm just, it doesn't feel right. I feel like they should be higher. But you know what? Let's get into it. We kind of both went for 10, but we both had the Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers right outside the cusp. Um, for the Heat, you know, they're kind of an honorable mention. They've been to the ECF two years ago, the finals last year. It's just the Jimmy Butler tax this of is the, the podcast. Yeah. We have to say the Heat here. The Heat, you just never know what the Heat, um, they kind of are in their really mid-season lull for the last month. So I feel like we're kind of seeing the worst of them right now, which is really tampering. But let's see if they can get it together. The Lakers, I mean, the Lakers are really starting to get it together. I think uh, definitely more than more than earlier in this season. They had that huge dip from the in-season tournament tournament until about two weeks ago. Yeah. My one fun stake Lakers stat, though, is they take a ton of shots at the rim. They get fouled all the time and they don't allow any shots at the rim. So the kind of template for like last year's run is still in place for this year. So like. Can they get it together? Can Vanderbilt come back? Maybe this team is poised to make another like low-seeded run. Yeah, and my worries for the Lakers is, one, like you said with their shot profile, they don't shoot threes, which is really, really tough. Like You've got to get to a certain amount of just getting threes up. I think Spencer Dinwiddie will help that a little bit. But then the other side of it is like I don't love their roster construction. I think... Spencer Dinwiddie is like just another version of D'Angelo Russell, another version of Austin Reeves. Like they all live on some like spectrum spectrum. Um, And at the end of the day, those guys are taking the ball away from LeBron. LeBron is 100 million years old. Maybe he, you should be taking the ball away from LeBron. Their coach has been awful. Like in something like this, we've got to take that into account when we were talking about the Lakers in other episodes, it's like, oh, just like do this. It, you, you'll be so much more effective. But you know what? When I'm looking at you from a championship lens, your coach is your coach. You're not firing Darvin Ham at this point. So 
I'm going to take off a couple points for you. So, yeah, I was right there. I feel like you could argue. How high do you think you could argue the the Lakers being up on your list? Like, Ooh, I think I could feasibly have them as high as five. Yeah, I don't know if i go there, but I think definitely seven. Uh, in that range, I, I agree with you. Now, I could have them as high as five. I currently have them 12. So yeah, I don't exactly. want to make it seem like I'm like all in on them now. Oh, you have them twelve. You have them. Oh, okay, you have them so, twelve. You have them twelve. So a little bit of bookkeeping. One team Patrick decided not to rank was the Sixers because of Embiid's injury. Um, I'll just get it out of the way. I had the Sixers at nine in this weird like I think Embiid will come back, and if he does, he's not going to be the same player he was the first half of the season. Um, so I guess. You want to do a little bit of Sixers? I guess this is the yeah, one yeah, stat Yeah, whatever that you have for, for the Sixers. If Embiid never got hurt, I think I'd have the Sixers as high as three. Yeah, I'm probably um, around there so too. There's a lot of, today we're going to go over a lot of lineups. And a lot of these lineups for a lot of these contenders are like plus 15 per 100 on a ton of possessions. So like big sample sets. Maxi, Melton, Batum, Harris, Embiid was plus 33.3 on over 460 possessions. So not the same sample size as some of these other teams, but that's because Embiid got hurt. Um, Just sizzling. Yeah, so if Embiid is able to come back, you know, with like 10 games left, can he get his conditioning back up? If that's the case, can this team re-gel? Because they're going to have to reincorporate Embiid. Embiid is one of these players that is not easily incorporatable. So that's why I have them all the way in the back. But yeah, I mean, if they're a low seed and they get anyone but the Celtics in the first round, like I'd be kind of upset if I was one of those teams. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely be <laughs> upset. It, even if they don't have him Embiid, they've still still got the Nick Nurse aspect. Yeah, like, I'm they, a big believer. Like they could make what should be a five game series into a seven game series. I don't in, agree with that. They've opinion. been very bad since Embiid is out, but. They're not even on your list, so should we? They're get not to on my list. Your number ten. My number ten team is I. I feel a little bad putting them at ten because they have been so so good recently. But I've got the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay, so in a world where the Sixers don't ex- see now, I got. I feel like I should just renumber my list. But effectively, I have the Cavs at ten as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, 36 and 17, uh, ever since they had like their injury scare the same day they announced Darius Garland and Evan Mobley were out, I feel like a lot of people just wrote them off. And then I feel like from that point on, they just never lost another game. Um, Right now, they are second in the league in defensive rating and 16th in the league in offensive rating. Just like a really, I think they've, Really found out how to play with a lot of size. Jared Allen has taken a step forward. Donovan Mitchell has been an absolute superstar this year, I, I, who I think should be squarely in the middle of the MB, MVP conversation. Uh, since January 1st, they have a 14.5 net rating, which is almost five points above the Celtics for uh, the best net rating of, of any team. Um, I mean, this is just, they're a very, very talented group, but I still have the same worries that arose after I saw what happened to them last season against the Knicks in the playoffs. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you. Like Mitchell has just been unbelievable this year. I was doing some film study for another team and they were playing um, the Cavs and it's like, 
Mitchell can beat you pulling up from three. He's just such a dynamic driver. He's got this like kind of crazy like half hook, half floater game going this year where he kind of just scoops the ball in from like six, seven feet away and it like it doesn't seem to ever miss. And it's like his ability to get space with his speed is just unreal. And like I know the backcourt is undersized with him and Garland, but like Mobley and Allen are both such like quick leapers, quick, like quick agile bigs. They're not like stiff bigs that it's really kind of like, it kind of like alleviates the backcourt size, like kind of issue they have. And like, I know part of me is like, this is different than last year. You know, they went through last year, they added Max Struess, who I think we all like more and like a playoff tested role, the guy who's not going to back down from anything. Cause it kind of felt like this team backed down a little bit against the Knicks last year. Mm-hmm. So I do think this team has learned from last year, but I guess my worry, and I think the same reason you have them at number 10, is like right now they're 9-1 and in their last 10. We've talked a million times on this podcast like, well, this team's 9-1 and in the last 10, and then it's like, what happens in the next 10? Yeah, Things even out a little bit. So assuming they cool off a bit, they start playing more like 6-4 and four stretches, 7-3 and three stretches. They went 51-31 and 31 last year. They're probably going to go around 52, 53, 54, and whatever this year. So they're going to be kind of a similar team. Because I think last year, we tend to forget, this team was so good in the regular season last year. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the difference is this year, they've really learned, like, okay, Mitchell's the guy. Mitchell is the guy. Not only that, they've learned Mitchell is the guy, but they've learned that Mitchell is a point guard, which is even more exacerbates the overlap of him and Garland and I think we've also learned that Evan Mobley is not going to be a shooter, which even more exacerbates the overlap of Allen and Mobley. And then you've kind of got a mini version of this like offense for defense split of Okoro and Struess. Okoro has been amazing this year defensively, but he's given you nothing on offense. So J.B. Bakerstaff, who I don't love the fact that he's making, he's the guy making these decisions has to constantly make these Sophie's choices of like offense for defense. It's just like you really, I could see them getting far in the playoffs, but you're just going to have to hit the right button every single time. And it's very difficult to, to do that effectively. Yeah. I, I'm actually kind of high on the overlap of Garland and Mitchell, just because I think Garland is a very unselfish player. I like his ability to space the floor. I like that Mitchell too can kind of play off. I like that both of them are good on ball off ball players. I think like the real overlap is the size. Like you kind of just wish one of them was a little taller, maybe a little better. Yeah. The ineffective defense. I think offensively, I do like the pairing. I guess I'm, I think in the playoffs, the spacing is going to become an issue again with the double bigs. Um, you know, what is nice, though, for them is if they do want to space it out and start playing some more guys who, you know, maybe some like Dean Wade's who can kind of shoot mm-hmm. but can't really do much else. It's like I, I guess it's like their players are very Lakery in a way where it's like you're either good at offense or good at defense. But I kind of like in a sense that the Cavs can always at least have one springy big on the floor to bevy the defense. And. I guess put shooting and around the, I don't yeah. know. It's just it's tough. I think this team. You're right. I think the, the defense reason we both is have the tough thing. The defense is the tough thing because I think in regular season basketball, it's a lot easier to play with two non-shooting bigs. And like, who's guarding Jalen Brunson for them? Yeah, like you don't really feel great about anyone in their traditional starting lineup. And then you put a Coro in there, who you feel good about him guarding that position. But then you've got three non-shooters. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm like talking myself into the Cavs as I have them as my bottom ranked team. Yeah. But yeah, I just think this team needs to find some way to alleviate the spacing issue. And we'll see what happens. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think super, super high floor, but not quite as high of a ceiling. Who do you have? So you had Sixers at nine? Yeah. Who do you have? Effectively have it. Who do you have at nine, eight? Uh, I had the Phoenix Suns. Okay, okay. And a lot of it is, I still think this team's way too reliant on mid-range jump shots. The Suns are one of these teams. There's actually almost all of these teams now from the Suns downward where you just go look at their most played lineups and it's like, the big three Suns lineup is killing everybody. And it's just like a lot of these Suns lineups or like the Durant, Booker, Gordon lineups are killing everybody. But I'm a little worried about Nurkic holding up the entire season. Um, I think Eubanks and the backup bigs are going to be kind of a problem come playoff time for the Suns. And again, I've just, I still don't love the shot diet. Um, it was tough to parse between the Suns and the Thunder for me, but I just feel like the Thunder have shown me a little bit more here in the regular season. So how yeah. do you feel about the Suns now? So I've got the Suns at seven. Okay. So pretty close, which is, it's pretty close. I, I had Suns, Mavs, Thunder. I'm like, I was really juggling, um, but I, I did end up putting the Suns above the other two teams. One, because like you you touched on it a little bit. Like we going into the season, we were, we were everyone was saying the Suns had the opportunity to be one of the most devastating offenses that we've ever seen. And when the Suns big three has been on the floor, we have seen nothing but that. They have an 129 offensive rating which of lineups with at least 500 possessions which isn't huge but it's not super small they are just like a country mile uh, in front of any other offense they they have been super super devastating Devin Booker I cannot say enough about what he's done this season I think he he's stepped into that point guard role better than I think anyone really could have ever imagined there there's definitely Positionally, they play a lot of guards and, and you're, they're asking them to defend up a lot of the time, which is where you get worried. Like it's really tough um, to survive in that way. But with all of that said, since the new year has turned, this has been a top 10 defensive rating team. They, they have the sixth best defensive rating in 2024. Eighth best offensive rating, and and that kind of fluctuates. I think they're still figuring that out a little bit, but top ten on both sides of the ball is like where you want to be. And then, dude, I mean, I don't know if you've watched any of the Royce O'Neal minutes, but Royce O'Neal has been absolutely like liquid. And how nitrogen. many games though? <laughs> in, in in like four games, but okay. he. Fits. He fits so so well with this team. That I mean, the the differential and the net ratings when he's been on the the floor for them is just like so absurd. It it does. You don't even need to bring it up. It's like eighty seven defensive rating and one hundred and twenty six offensive rating. Like hundred percentile all around. Like he he is just such a strong guy and a big guy. And what I love about his addition is in the last probably month or so the Suns have discovered just how devastating they can be with Katie at the five and 
Royce O'Neal unlocks that lineup. He makes it so that they can play that that lineup in a real way where they're not asking Grayson Allen to guard fours, you know? And, and they can still just really, like, fire off threes and, and hit them at, at a pretty... Like, he's getting the most open threes of his life. Devin and Kevin are, have been amazing this year. Um, yeah. I, I, I just think their their ceiling is is super, super high. And, I mean, I just can't stop thinking about what they looked like last year with a much worse team in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I mean, the Suns are one of these teams that's really, really difficult. It's kind of like how I said the Lakers, I could have them as high as, you know, four or five, but as low as like 13. And the Suns are one of these teams where it's like, I guess I could have the Suns as low as like 12, but I probably could have them as high as like three on my rankings because like, yeah, when they're healthy and they're humming, like it's an unstoppable offense because almost they have three players that when they touch the ball, everyone on the defense almost has to shade toward them and it causes a ton of issues for the other team. Booker is just the shot making is ridiculous. The worry for me with Durant has kind of always been the last few years is like he really kind of struggles to get to the rim in the playoffs a little bit more. But like this year, his rim numbers are finally ticking back up in this heavy spacing environment. So we're seeing a lot better version of KD than we've seen in two years. Um, I guess with the Suns, it really does come down to like, can Beal stay healthy for an extended stretch? Can Nurkic hold up physically and not wear down too much? Because I think the thing with Beal is like, it seems like he's one of those guys that it's not, it's almost Anthony Davis-like where it's not like this reoccurring knee. It's like, ah, you got hit in the eye today. I know. He has a broken nose now. Oh man. Someone pulled his hair too hard. His scalp ripped in half. Like, I don't know. It's just, I feel like Beal's just getting these one-off injuries over. But that's the thing. Sometimes players are just the type of guys. And that's the thing with well, Anthony Well, he goes Davis. super hard. That's the thing. And I think it's the same thing with, thing with the AD. AD is like, yeah, AD's been super healthy for like a year and a half now because he hasn't had a freak thing happen. But a freak thing can happen to any player in any game. And Beal just seems to have that happen to him. So it's like, can Beal keep it together? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you're right. You're right. And so many of these go down to um, can they stay healthy? The one last thing that I want to say about the Suns is the red flag of like the fourth quarter has still been such a mess. And all season defending point guards and, and defending point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just defending, def- defending, defending in general, but especially defending point guards. And I think that's the problem is they've unlocked this Katie at the five lineup. And I think that lineup might not work as well in the playoffs. Yeah, especially against some of these bigger Western. Well, the trade off is like (laughs) they're scoring like 129 (laughs) points per 100 possessions in the KD at the five lineup. So they're willing to like give up (laughs) 120 points as well. So um, I don't know if that's the best strategy, but I mean, hey, anytime where you're plus nine, you're you're doing all right. Um, okay, so that was your nine. nine, and my nine was the Thunder. Okay, so my eight is the Thunder. Okay, oh, great. Look at us. Yeah, we're, we're a lot more locks up than right I thought. We're right there. There's only a certain, certain amount of ways that you can go about this. So the Thunder are young, which I think is like a big thing. But here's the catch with the Thunder's youth. Usually young teams rely a lot on transition, right? The Thunder don't have a lot of characteristics of a young team. They're actually third in half-court play percentage. So this team is already really good in the half-court. SGA is probably the league's best isolation player right now. He's averaging 1.19 points per isolation. Um, What I like about this is that 
in the half court, the game becomes much more half court heavy. Over the last couple seasons, usually the percentage of half court plays goes up by like one or two. So effectively, per game, you're getting like a couple more half court possessions and a couple less transition possessions. And like the best half court offense in the NBA right now is averaging like 106, 107 points per possession. So Ashe Iso is averaging 1.19, 119 points per possession. So like the Thunder are going to have that any play they want it. The problem for the Thunder, I think, is Shea is much more of a read and react type of um, passer. He's more of a like, you know, he's not processing the passing game at the same speed as like a Doncic. So I think the doubles for Shea are going to be a little bit easier for playoff level defenses to double recover onto the shooters. So I don't think like his teams are just going to let him have it because I think he's going to be able to sustain that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, and to point out, one thing that was a little bit of a red flag is like, OKC is such an amazing team when it comes to generating drives. They're in the 99th percentile of drives drives per game. But on the other side of that, they're also on in the 0th percentile in terms of fouls drawn per drive. And... I think that number will only dry up even more once you get into a tightened playoff setting. And from that place, it, it goes to like, are we going to hit our, our spot up threes on the outside? Which like, maybe, but like when you start relying on, on jump shooting more to replace something like easy foul shots and, and, and stuff like that, it... It throws your math off a little bit. I, I think Shea can be the best guy in almost any series that he's in. But um, the experience is a real thing. And I think another thing that's really interesting when you talk about like them leading the NBA in drives per game is they're still only 19th in shots at the rim. <laughs> yeah. Which is like they're driving it a lot, but they're not getting to the rim in any other facet of the game. That's another problem. Like they're not getting interior passes to the rim. They're not doing. They're not. They don't have any sort of post up presence, which I know is like kind of dead in the regular season. But we've seen in the playoffs really important the last couple of years. Um, yeah, they're 18th and three point percentage. This team does take a lot of mids, mm-hmm. which I don't love. And this is where I'm like kind of really low on the Thunder. Is they give up the second most offensive rebounds percentage wise, and they are they're like like bottom three in offensive rebounding possession. So this team is giving up more easy looks and getting less themselves. And I think against like a Minnesota, a Denver, or even like a Lakers, if they were to match up with them in the first round, like that's going to be a problem when like a guy is just owning the boards all series against you. Absolutely. And like when you can't control the boards, the other side of that is like when you start going against the super small teams, like a Clippers, like a Suns, like a Warriors, you allow those teams to put like super small lineups and and play those effectively against you because you're not punishing them on on the offensive glass. So in the same way that I would be worried if I was a Thunder fan playing against the Lakers, I would be just as worried playing against like a, a team like the Warriors because they can get away with just having Draymond out there as, as their only five man or the Clippers, you can get away with. I mean, I would be comfortable with like Kawhi guarding um, Chet because you just have that that strength factor. But even a team like the Clippers, though, this is where I, this is where I'm scared for the Thunder. A team like the Clippers can go 
we're just going to put Plumley out there, and he's probably going to beat Chet on the boards a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And absolutely. I think that's where it's scary is a lot of these teams can be like, here's our above average center, and he's going to do a really good job rebounding this series. Yeah, I mean, I would feel great with Nurkic rebounding against Chet. Like he, And I, I don't want to downplay Chet. Chet is giving the Thunder so much on offense, and Chet has been a really good defensive player, right? Like blocking drives and all that, but... This is really more about rebounding than Chet's actual defensive ability because I think Chet's proved himself to be a nice defensive anchor for this team. But I just think when it comes down to close playoff games, if you're losing the offensive boards by like 10 a game, like that's that's tough to so overcome, even to if you're overcome. outplaying the other team offensively and defensively. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. But um, they also have amazing perimeter defensive personnel. Like, I mean, Jalen Williams is a real, real star on both ends of the ball at this point. Lou Dort, we know what Lou Dort can do. Maybe a little undersized against certain matchups, but he's just a meatball that, like, you cannot m- displace at all. Shea's had by far the best season of his career on the defensive end. So there, there is upside on, on that end as well. Because I'm thinking back to last year's Thunder. Because Shea was awesome last year. But last year... Did they play the Timberwolves in that that playing game? Uh, OKC. Yeah. Who did they play? They played. No, it was the wasn't it the Lakers? Yeah. They, no, they, no, they didn't play the Lakers last year. The Lakers beat you guys, the Timberwolves. Oh, in the first round. In the play-in. Oh, right. Uh, Who did they play? Regardless, last year the the team they were playing just like kind of denied Shea the ball, played some like doubling on Shea, and like just made the ball get out of Shea's hands, and like. Haven't seen a lot out in the regular season. I'm a little worried about like what it looks like when other teams are like, we're gonna force you, we're just gonna force the ball out of Shea's hands a little bit more just because he's not this like pick and roll maestro, maestro, maestro level kind of guy, like you know, LeBron James type. And I think that's what worries me is I think the Thunder's offense is gonna take a little bit of a step back with playoff defenses. And yeah, I just think the size is gonna be an issue. Like we saw them get absolutely clobbered by the new Dallas size. And like that's not a team that has some great collection of centers right now. <laughs> no, no, it is not. Um, I don't know. This is too hard to Google, but <laughs> yeah, they were they were in the play in last year. Um who did they, did they play the Warriors? Yeah, I'm pulling it up. Warriors? I'm pulling it up. Who was the two seed last year? It was the it it was the Timberwolves. It was the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves beat them 120 to 95 in the play-in. There we go. Yeah. They beat who? The Thunder. they beat the Pelicans, the Pelicans, and then the Timberwolves beat the 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 Thunder. Right. Uh, and in that game, okay, what I remember okay, was when okay, it got okay. close, like toward the end, or it wasn't close. It was 95-120. But what I remember from that game was like. They just were just like, hey, Shay, we're just going to like play heavy ball denial and like you guys can go play through somebody else. Mm-hmm. And like, I think Shay's a better player now. He's going to come get the ball more, be a lot more aggressive. Shay's much more of an alpha, I think, as he's gotten older in his career. But I, I, that just kind of always has stuck with me. It reminds me of, of how teams schemed against Devin Booker the last two years. Yeah, just like it, you, when you have to expend that much energy just to get the ball, you're already starting from a deficit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So who is, so I had the Thunder at eight. Okay, and then I had the Mavs at eight. Okay, the Mavs. I'm I'm really excited about the Mavs. Hey, this is a place of self growth for me. Both preseason, I had the the Mavs nowhere near the the top ten of contenders, and I think they've played themselves into this range. I think right now the the standings make it seem like the Mavs are a goofy pick. They're one game back from five. Mm-hmm. If they beat the Suns tonight, they're literally five now. 
the, the, this is what really excites me about the Mavs because I've been watching them a lot more lately. The Irving Doncic pairing is starting to really, really, really gel. And it's gelling in a way that I didn't expect where they're getting a ton of like Kyrie running toward the rim and Luca finding him. And then the Kyrie being in that like eight foot, 10 foot like distance range where it's like, he's going to score. And Kyrie's become a much better passer throughout his career. This is what's crazy. Every time they run a pick and roll, the other teams are like, we're doubling Luca off the pick and roll. We are not going to let him do that. Why is that? Luca's averaging 1.1 points per ISO. He's averaging 1.07 points per pick and roll ball handler. He's averaging 1.02 points per post up. This guy is second all time in playoff points per game behind Michael Jordan. I know we talked about Shea's isolation game and statistically it's a little bit more potent this year than Doncic, but man, Luca has the full package. You cannot double him. And with Gafford now, like they don't, they're not going to have any minutes where there's like Powell out there or Kleber out there. Like it's going to be 48 minutes of a somewhat competent big who can play defense. Mm -hmm. And I think like, Combining that with Irving and Doncic's pick and roll, like this team is really hard to stop offensively, and they're really going to be average enough on defense that that crazy unstoppable offense that'll transfer to the postseason. Like, I think this team's really dangerous. I think they're really dangerous in the fact that they have Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. I have some reservations about. I, I really want to see Gafford and Lively on defense in the playoffs when teams can scheme against them at the end of the day two centers that do not shoot the ball at all they have great rim rim gravity but you never know with with rim running bigs i you got to see it in the playoffs a little bit you got to see how teams what teams try to do with them you got to see how teams bring them out and to be honest, I'm a little, I, 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 I'm just balancing you out. Yeah. I am high on the Mavs. I promise I am high on the Mavs. Fuck the Mavs. I am high <laughs> on the Mavs. The place where I'm very worried about the Mavs is their shooting. I want to run down like, so PJ Washington, we're, we're replacing Grant Williams with PJ Washington. Obviously, culturally, not a fit at all, Grant Williams. Grant Williams is a guy that you have to guard as a three-point shooter, and I am just not quite sure P.J. Washington is. He's in the 10th percentile in three-point shot making. He's in the 10th percentile of three-point catch and shoot shooting. Um, he has been really, really bad thus far with the Mavs, super small sample size in terms of his three-point shooting. He's shooting like 16%. And so with that, maybe he bounces back. I don't know. I would imagine it would fall somewhere in the middle closer to a 30% shooter than a 40% shooter. Teams will get super cutthroat when you've got a shooter like that on the court. And then you're, you're pairing that with Gafford, who doesn't shoot at all. Lively, who doesn't shoot at all. Kleber, who's a huge question mark, shooting 35% from three. Um, Derek Jones Jr., who teams are going to let him shoot until his fingers start to bleed. He's shooting 34%, started off really, really hot from three this season. And then you've got Exum, who has had an amazing shooting year this year, shooting like 44% from three. I'm not feeling great if I'm a Mavs fan and I'm relying on catch and shoot threes from him. It reminds me of the Suns last year where they're going to go as far as Luka and Kyrie can shoot them in, in, in the playoffs. 
So I, it's weird. I'm kind of the other way. I think watching this team because I've watched every game since the trade. The the shoot this the way teams respect the spacing and you're right it'll change in the playoffs. Teams like this team is crazy spaced out and it's part of why they're kind of unguardable is because teams feel like they have to double Luca and these bigs are just wide open and the thing with PJ from Washington washing him <laughs> not from Washington Gafford's is from Washington he's sneakily not a bad passer he's actually pretty good at big to big passing when he catches it on the roll he's not like a Draymond he's not dissecting a defense like that but he's good at making basic passes um yeah really effective from the floater range like he does have offense to his game and one thing that is nice is he drives and I think that's the thing he doesn't really touch the ball a lot so it's like I haven't seen a ton of him because they they don't really give him the ball much like to be honest he is kind of like a stand there guy but that's the thing is like we've seen this Mavs heliocentric offense just work and I think this is going to be the best version of it because Josh Green shooting forty one percent from three. Hardaway is a guy you can't leave open. Hardy's a really good shooter, and I think you're going to see think Hardy's getting any minutes in the playoffs. To be honest, oh, I think he will. In what minutes is he taking away from Luca, Kyrie, Tim Hardaway Jr.? Because I, Luca and Kyrie aren't playing forty eight, and Tim plays the three a lot of Luke this team. Luca's going to play like forty two. So you'll see Hardy Doncic lineups. Yeah, potentially, potentially. I mean, I'll hear it, but. You've also got Green that's like playing a little bit of two, two, three there. I, I just feel like there's a lot of minutes to to give out. I think you're going to see this team play a lot of lineups that'll be like Doncic, Hardy, Hardaway, Green, Lively. You won't see a lot of like, I don't think you'll see any big pairing lineups that much other than PJ with one of the two bigs. Like, you'll never see Kleber out there. I don't think Powell will play in the playoffs. Like, See, but that gets into my whole thing. Their their um, roster like doesn't fit together. I I just don't agree. I think it really does. Like I, that's why I'm but so you just high on this team. Like, so who's their top? Who's their top eight? Doncic, Irving, Green, Hardaway, Washington, Gafford, Lively, and Hardy. See, I I don't know. I really like that eight man group. Like I think it fits like a Hard- glove. I, I just feel like they don't have like perimeter defense. So at that's all. the thing. This is not going to be a high level defense, but as a half court offense, I think this is outside of Denver, maybe the best half court offense in the West. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just how do you. The Clippers exist. The Clippers exist, but like, unlike a lot of. Like, Kawhi is awesome, but Doncic is literally like the best playoff scorer we've seen since Michael Jordan. Yeah, I, I hear you, dude. I hear and you, he's dude. also a way better passer than all these other ball handlers. Like he's kind of put himself in this position where, as in the half court, he's like just unstoppable. Like I don't really see what you like, can load up on him though because of the lack of shooting around the rest of the roster. But you can't though because I don't think they have a lack of shooting because in that top eight, all those guys are good shooters. That's not true. Hardy's a great shooter. Green's a good shooter. Hardaway's a good shooter. Yeah, but uh, Irving's a good shooter. Lively doesn't shoot. You don't think Kleber's going to get any minutes? Kleber's not that good anymore. I I know, but they need the size. This is a super, super small team. But I think think the other thing you're you're underrating left and right. Watching their games, like teams are really like picking their poison with this team because, like, a lot of the times, like, Irving springs free and, like, 
that's the other thing. Irving is so good. Irving's awesome. Yeah. And like they're getting really like Doncic is getting really good at getting Irving the ball heading toward the hoop. And like Kyrie's playing way less isolation than he ever has. He's playing way more like getting the ball off cuts, getting the ball in space. Like, I don't know. Against the Spurs, it's just like the way teams guard them is they're terrified of the Mavs shooters. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel like in a playoff setting when you can really think about what you want to give a team, what you don't want to give a team, the Mavs become a little bit more simple to guard than like your random game against the the Spurs. Um, I mean, I, I think they have a clear ceiling to get to an NBA finals even. Um, I just, I just have reservations and, and there's, there's a few teams that I would definitely pick over them. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I have them six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I have them eight. Um, I, I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think they're schemable, but they have the guy that can be the best player in any series. Like, I, I, I don't know what you're doing with, with Luca, but, um, I don't know. We've seen time and time again in this era of the NBA, it doesn't matter as much as it has in past generations if you have the best guy just because the league is so, so, so talented yep. and so deep. Um, and I worry about them playing against deeper teams as well. So who do you have at seven? So I had the Suns at seven. Okay, so I have the Knicks. Okay, cool. I have the Knicks at six. Okay, so... Are the Knicks injuries maybe what's going to derail this team? There's like <laughs> yeah. there's like room for optimism and room for pessimism. There's so, so many injuries. OG Ananobi's been out for a while. He's supposed to be coming back soonish. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so Julius Randle was supposed to be out like a month, month and a half with a separated shoulder. Now it's looking like he might need surgery. So like that's not good. Uh, the one good news is Mitchell Robinson was supposed to be out the whole year. He supposedly might be coming back. Um. So the the Knicks' pathway to victory is really like Brunson kind of anchors, gives this team a high floor with his scoring ability. Um, They're going to be a crazy defense, and they allow no offensive rebounds, and they get the most offensive rebounds. And, like, I think if you're the Knicks, like, normally you're like, oh, my God, Joel Embiid came back, and, like, we have to play him in the first round. But I think it's more like you're the Knicks, and you're like, dude, if there's one team Joel Embiid doesn't want to play right now, it's it's us who's going to beat the living shit out of him every single game and he's not playing you know healthy like i think this team like if they can get randall back they can get mitch rob back if they can get og back like i really think this is a team that can go to the finals and play like i think it's tough because the knicks are a new archetype of team that we haven't seen win the finals since like the 04 pistons so it's like because we've never seen a team in this build win in this era we don't think it can happen but like Teams win with new archetype of team building, you know, every few years. And I think, like, the Knicks, if they're healthy, are just going to be so difficult to score on. And I think they're really going to, like, impose their, like, size, their grit on the teams. And, like, even a team like the Celtics, I would want to play the Knicks. Oh, no, no. I would not want to play the Knicks at all if I was the Celtics. But, yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head. This is, like, maybe the deepest team in the NBA with really, really quality personnel for both sides of the ball um i i i love that i i've talked about it before what i really really love about the knicks is they're a team that like uh like it just sounds like such a slog from any position to play against the knicks 
Um, I love the fact that they have more on-ball scoring now after the OG trade. That was a, a little bit of a place of weakness for them. And I think adding Burks, adding Bogdanovich completely changes that. Um, I mean, Randall has been really, really great for 99% of the season for them. Can he get back? Can he be the same imposing force that that he's been? Um, I love that his role is is simplified. But yeah, I mean, there's almost not that much to say about them because we don't know right the health. now because we don't know their health and we haven't seen their team together. If the- you told me they were super healthy, Patrick, I would probably have them ahead of one of the other two Eastern teams I have listed, but. At the moment, I can't. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm dying to see what their team looks like. Because the whole Knicks renaissance this year that everybody's been getting so hyped about, the entire time, they haven't been a full team. It's crazy. That's why it was so impressive, because they were so, so depleted by injuries for that whole time. Once they're a full team, you know, it's, (laughs) it is a little difficult to fit talent together like that and maybe it'll click like a glove you know um Tibbs is such a a great coach seems like he really has the locker room with him right now it might work gangbusters right off the bat but it's just something that you've got to see so I I mean I yeah I I agree that their their ceiling is is super high it's a team that I definitely wouldn't want to play in the east and I have them ranked at six because it's a little bit easier in the East, you know? It's a bit easier in the East. Um, the East is kind of in flux right now. There's a lot of, there's red flags all over the place. You could get an easy first round matchup um, in the East, where as I think all of the first round matchups in the West are going to be gunfights. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about the Knicks. Uh, love watching them. Yeah. I'm hoping get that healthy. they get healthy. You and the Sixers, just get healthy. Yeah. Okay, I guess so. So you, where are we at now? So I'm. We've covered all of my teams up to five now. Me too. Me okay, too. so my number five team is the Milwaukee Bucks. Me too. Wow, I'm surprised how lockstep we're I know. in. Um, the group think is so real. It's it, crazy because Patrick and I do no consulting with each other in between doing yeah, this. We don't. We even before the show, we're like, oh, I can't give you any hints to yeah. what I'm doing, and we have the same. List okay. essentially. So the Bucks are the weirdest team in the NBA because if you go look at their lineup data, pretty much every lineup they have that plays big minutes is outscoring teams by like over 10 points per 100 possessions. So it makes no sense that this team is three and seven in their last 10. It makes no sense to me that the narrative all year oh, is. Let me a- tell you why it makes sense that they're three and seven in their last 10. They fired their freaking coach <laughs> 10 games ago. Who was not good. Who was not great, but that's. A really difficult thing to do. I don't like everything Rivers. I don't think I've liked a single thing Doc Rivers has said. Like, also, why are you hiring me is a weird question to ask from a guy who you want to right the ship and take a championship level team. Lillard and Giannis two-man lineups are all plus 10. All of the Bucks' most played lineups are super dominant. I think the big worry for this team is, like, the general weirdness around everything but if we want to get into more objective things like middleton's missing a ton of games middleton's averaging about 15 points a game malik beasley is like playing big minutes on this team like but 
Pat Connaughton has been really good for them in Middleton's place. And like part of me wonders if Middleton matters that much when you've inserted Damian Lillard, who's supercharged this offense to heights that the Bucs have never been to before. Like, Patrick, is there a case that this is the best Giannis Bucks team? I think at like, the end of the be. season, they could be. They're yeah. the fifth best offensive rated team in the league this year, and they've been completely steeped in chaos the entire season. Giannis, like, can we just talk about the box numbers for Giannis? 30 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists a game this season. And his efficiency is, like, absolutely insane um, just in general. Um, I... Am with, I am buying Buck stock right now. I I am dying I'm, I'm to with buy you. Buck like, stock. I'm kind of like, all right, like you know, they could maybe, probably won't, maybe could get the two, maybe, probably maybe, end up at three. Yeah, but like, I don't know. They haven't been good against Cleveland this year, but like, I don't know, man. I I just kind of like Dame against that backcourt. I like Giannis against any big. To be honest, the fact of the, like, I think they they've been a little bit better on defense ever since Doc took over. They've had this break now. I don't think it's if I told you by the end of the season, like between now and the end of the season, the Bucks had the fifth best defensive rating in the league. Would you be shocked? No, because well, I wouldn't be shocked. Would at you all. be shocked also if someone told you, okay, the Bucks are thirty-five and twenty-one. They finished the year like fifty-five and twenty-six, or it's like no. if if I don't know, like that's the thing. I'm not. Like it's like this team is embroiled in chaos. They're 35 and 21. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like <laughs> and when we've seen like I'm going to get a little morning jock shock on you, but when we've seen Giannis healthy in the playoffs the last 3 years, he has looked like the best player in the entire world on both ends of the floor. You know, there's there's no they're kind of a similar team to the Mavs in a way that they're super reliant on two stars. The rest of the guys around them are like a pretty good fit. There's some talent there, but also there's a lot of question marks. But at the end of the day, you're like Dame and Giannis raise your offensive ceiling to great heights, but you have Giannis, who is potentially a top 10 player all time. And what he can do to your defense is just as real. I I, I would not yeah, want to play it, Giannis. I, so we're both very all. high on the Bucks. Yeah, I just I just this is just a team that I'm like, I don't know, man. Because I feel like the thing with the Bucks the last couple of years in the playoffs, like the offense falls apart. Even the year they won the championship, like the offense just falls apart with Drew Holiday, and it's like. This team is so good on offense because of Damian Lillard. Absolutely. <laughs> like, and I just think the defense is going to keep tricking up. And it's kind of like the Mavs where it's like, I don't know if you're going to be top 10 on defense, but if you get to like 15. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about their starting lineup. Their starting lineup is absolutely it's just It's like plus 16, right? Team. Yeah. So they have, there's a very few amount of lineups that have over 900 possessions together. And their starting lineup of Lillard, Beasley, Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez are one of those lineups. They have 1,137 possessions together, and they are plus 16. The next closest lineup with at least 900 possessions is plus 12.7. Like, it is so exceedingly difficult to have a net rating that positive for a lineup that is going to play an absurd amount of minutes together in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I'm high on the Bucks. I don't know. I think the chaos is going to maybe last throughout February. And I think March, April, it's it's going to come get together. Because I think the one thing that's weird about the chaos of this team is like Giannis and Dame both seem like no bullshit guys. Yeah. And I feel like both of them are kind of like, wow, there's a lot of bullshit around us happening. But like, I, it, I know Giannis has said some weird things, but I think maybe... Sometimes maybe things might get lost in translation. I think he just kind of says how things are. And I think a lot of times people are like, oh, Giannis is stirring the pot. And I don't really think he's intending to. Well, I mean, I think he did stir the pot when he got his coach fired. Coach killer Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> um, but he's happy now. He got his coach fired. That's all he wanted. And now, like, you can say what you will about Doc Rivers. But there's one thing that I can assure you. And that it's that his players love him for some reason. Not J.J. Redick. Not J.J. Redick. But, you know, you got Pat Bev. You got Danilo Gallinari. They're coming back. They're ex-Doc uh, Rivers players. I Doc has hung around in this league because of his relationships with players. And I do believe in his ability to at least bring their locker room together to the point that it needs to be to get into the playoffs. And that's when you hand the baton to a guy like Giannis, to a guy like Damian Lillard. And it's like, look, your legacies are on the line. Both of you guys have so much to lose if you don't show up in these playoffs. Go, do your thing, be superstars, because that's who you guys are. And in the playoffs, I, I think we will see that. I would be, I would be surprised if they had another series like last year, but... You know, yeah, they, they, yeah, I like their ceiling a lot. Okay, number four, I've got the Minnesota Timberwolves. So do I. Let's go. <laughs> you think that's a fair placement? Number four? Yeah. You guys both had them at four? We did. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, of course, would go higher, but, you know, I'll take it. There we go. Uh, there we top go. Top five. Let's so it's go. weird because I'll spoil. I have the Clippers at three. So do I. I like the Clippers we overall. Have the same top five. I, I like the Clippers overall more than the Timberwolves, but I like Minnesota in that specific matchup. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think Big that's reasonable small. to say. Yeah, I actually kind of think I'd pick the Wolves in that one, but against most other teams, I think I'd rather have the Clippers. But the Wolves, great size, amazing wing defense. I love that in any given series, they can put Jaden and they can put Ant on the other teams like isometric guards and wings and be like have fun yeah because that works like we saw that last year with the lakers when they were like okay who's the best guy okay vanderbilt just take care of him like that and like when you have like gobert you know locking down the paint you also have cat giving a lot of spacing like this team has a lot of size they're the second best net rating they have the best defensive rating at 108.5 this is where it gets crazy they're half court defense again we're going to see more half court possessions they are 92 defensive rating in the half court <laughs> this team doesn't let you score. No, this this team is a a defensive monster like we have not seen really in in recent NBA history, at least from like a non-championship level team. I I think it's so so rare and it's so real. Like this like defense like this doesn't just come around the corner and and show up every year and I I think the Carl Anthony Towns Rudy Gobert fit that was such a question mark, especially on the defensive end. I think for the most part they figured it out, and in scenarios where they it, they're getting hurt a little bit by it, one cat is so good on offense 
that he can make up for it a lot of the times, whatever points he's giving up from the wonky positional fit when it comes to guarding. But also, you can just take Gobert off the court and you've got an all-NBA talent Center. And you have one of the best backup bigs in Nas Reed, too. Exactly. And, and then you can just plug Kyle Anderson there. And that's just like a more traditional lineup. You, Jane McDaniels can guard one through five. Not one through five, but one through four pretty comfortably against most teams. Especially in the West, where a lot of the teams are a little bit on the smaller side. Um, the biggest question when it comes to the Timberwolves is decision-making on offense, um, maturity. You know, I, I think Ant is a guy that we've seen in big games get a little tunnel vision-y, makes some very questionable decisions in terms of shot selection at certain points. And I, I think that's a real issue, but at least they have the insulation of their defense to protect them. I think like if you're a Minnesota fan, like the thing that if like if you close your eyes and you're like, what's the scenario where we like lose in a horrible upset? It's like they draw the Lakers. The Lakers are getting a million foul calls and Cat and Gobert are just losing their minds and like malfunctioning. I think that's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is essentially what happened in the last time that, that they faced each other in that play in game. So uh it's very possible but i mean like you're saying it's like ant can sometimes play hero ball and it works and sometimes he just completely absolutely and you can say the th same thing about cat yeah you know the cat's a guy that we've seen multiple instances now in his playoff career of he just doesn't have it you know he's he's getting into really quick foul trouble yeah Hey. <laughs> what, what I do like about the Timberwolves, though, and like this is something that you could say you don't like, is like this: we're a month removed from Cat having the worst sixty-three point game in NBA history, where he's just chucking and the coach is calling out the team. But the Timberwolves are seven and three in their last ten. Yeah. If anything, like it seems like Ant is really taking on the leadership role, and yeah. he is really trying to bring up Cat. And I think Gobert's immature at times as well. Like I kind of seems like this team like is learning. I think the whole season we've been waiting for the like Timberwolves are gonna regress a bit, and it's like they're still the number one seed. Yeah, and yeah. I think like the maturity issues are still there, but I think this might be the like the turning point season where maybe they don't win the chip, but it's like okay, going forward, like Cat and Ant, like this is a pairing that is going to be a top tier pairing for a long time. I think the big key to helping Cat out was like taking the pressure off of him. And Ant does that in such an amazing way. Like Cat can just kind of step back and and still average like 27 or whatever it is, but like not have to be the guy. Because he's not the guy and he never was the guy. Like, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do want to throw out a couple stats that kind of that do make me make me cringe at, at what their offense in the playoffs might be. This is a bottom 10 percentile team in terms of ISO fouls drawn, which there's going to be a lot of ISO ball because they're also not a great passing team. Top to bottom, they're in the bottom 10th percentile in terms of passing efficiency, potential assists per 100 passes, they're in the 11th percentile. So that just means really is they don't get easy points. 
They don't get points off assists, which are, are always easy. And they don't get points off of, of fouls when it turn, comes to like ISO possessions, which there are going to be a lot of ISO possessions, especially when you've got Cat on the perimeter, especially when you know, y- you're know you not going to want the ball in Mike Conley's hands all that much when it comes to the playoffs. But, um, I mean, I think the, the ceiling is sky high. Yeah, I think what I like is, like, I'm looking at the standings, and it's really tough to say who they're likely going to get into play and draw. But, like, you know, they get the Kings, they get the Pelicans, they get the Lakers. Like, I kind of like them in all of those matchups. Oh, I 100% and like, like them. In round two, matchups. they're going to play 4-5, so they could be playing, like, a Phoenix Suns, a Dallas Mavs, like, kind of like them in those matchups too but like where it gets scary is like right now denver is the four seed yeah yeah <laughs> that's that where is, i'm a little scared that is rough we don't want that right now, <laughs> i i want Jokic as far away from rudy gobert <laughs> as possible but if you're a minnesota fan you guys arguably played them better than any of the other teams they played last year yeah yeah that is that is that is arguable and that i was- would not make that argument but that is arguable. That was a thing that like Lakers players were saying at the end of last season. Like they were actually really scared to play the Wolves at the end. Do you guys remember that at all? Wasn't that the Nuggets players? I, I oh, yeah, that. no, no. It was, it was the, the Nuggets. Nuggets. I think the Nuggets said that the Timberwolves were the hardest team they had to beat. That was the hardest series that year. They had, them. yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I remember <laughs> uh, one team winning two games against the Nuggets and the other teams <laughs> only winning one. I remember the Heat only won one game against the Nuggets. The Timberwolves only won one game against the Nuggets. And that was it. Those were all the teams. The Lakers, no, they didn't win any games against the Nuggets. Okay, I'm being an asshole. (laughs) But um, Number three. Number three. Uh, Clippers? Clippers. Yep. We're right there. Uh, So, I mean, my whole thing on the Clippers all year, and it's probably surprising to hear me put them at three because all year I've been kind of down on the Clippers. But again, we finally got them, Clippers fans. I'm still worried about Leonard's health. Just like of we've course. seen this, man. Of like course. he just seems to get hurt every year in the playoffs. And as good as these lineups are, and my God, Harden, Maya, George, Leonard, Zubac, plus 14.8. Harden, Maya, George, Leonard, Plumley, plus 15.6. Like, and what's crazy is those two lineups seem, they sound the exact same. They have such different identities. The Zoo lineups are great on defense. The Zoo lineups are very shot making heavy. The Plumley lineups are great on offense. The Plumley lineups, they take a absurd amount of shots at the rim with the Plumlee lineup like he's a great passer the I think the Plumlee lineup's better even though it's more offensive slanted um yeah I don't know and then yeah, I mean with their perimeter defense I don't need like, yeah that lockdown presence in the paint so I like that you have two competent bigs you have 48 minutes of competent you center got three play. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm cool with playing playing Tice a couple playoff 12 playoff uh, minutes a game I'm not, I'm not cool with that if I'm the other teams, I'm I'm salivating teams, at the chance to attack Tice. A lot Tice. of teams in the NBA would kill to have Daniel Tice as their backup five. I, I, I don't. And teams above them right now, I think would. I don't know if I agree with that, but I don't think Tice is going to play. But either way, either way, they, they don't have to play him at all. One through four, they have Powell coming off the bench. Um, this is the best ISO scoring team we have literally ever seen in our entire god-fearing lives yeah so i mean the real question with the clippers is health and it's also harden (laughs) well the great thing about harden is like the dude doesn't have to score at all so you the thing is that we say that but like 
you could argue, wouldn't that be the position of the point guard on the Clippers last year and two years ago and the year they lost to Denver? Like that they everyone they needs to be able to, to do something. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I think they they didn't have to score, but it would have been very helpful. Nice. But guess, but they those also those point guards also didn't have the bag. You know, they didn't have the ability to score in a way that James Harden does, and and James Harden can. Yeah. I mean, we just saw last season. You know, James Harden, I think at this point in his career, is a little miscast as a number two on a real championship team, but. James Harden is a clear number three and is a number three with a real number one option in Kawhi Leonard, who is looking like the best player in the world once again. Arguably two number one options. Yeah, and Paul George, who just like what you said, I mean, two years ago, Paul George was in the Western Conference Finals looking like a guy that could maybe go into the finals and win finals MVP. Without Leonard. Without Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really, if the Clippers stay healthy, I'm really, really high on them. I think like, I think the one thing that worries me is like the Westbrook factor. So I think that like narrative is like Westbrook has just been absolutely amazing. Uh, the three most played Westbrook lineups are all negative. <laughs> like yeah, no. this team is not Westbrook does not materially help this team from a like winning basketball. It's just in the data. Like it just no, the data says Westbrook absolutely. is not helping them. So like I don't know why this has to always be a big debate with Westbrook, but like. The spacing is going to hurt them in the playoffs. I don't think Westbrook's going to play a lot. Like, does that change the dynamic of the locker room at all? It seems like he's kind of weirdly the heart and soul of the team, despite not being the guy pushing them forward much. Yeah, I mean, the the numbers for Westbrook last season were absolutely god-awful, and he was a real positive presence in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. But in the situation where that doesn't happen... You don't have to play him. Yeah, that's true. You, you you just don't have to play him at all. And we've we've taken off points throughout this list for coaching. Tyler's great. The best coach in the league. Um, no. Maybe. Pretty close. I, I mean, that maybe I, I'd put Spolstra above him. But I don't know if I'd put anybody else. I don't know if I'd think about putting anybody else. I mean, this team just has everything that you could ever want. For a championship contender, a team that will rise their level of play in the playoffs. I, I don't think they're very schemable. I, I don't know what you do other than pray that they miss shots. The one thing I wish they did have is I wish one of these guys had somewhat of a bully ball game. Yeah. Because that's like, the Kawhi one. can kind of do that. Kawhi can kind of do that. But what I think I like about... The Nuggets, the Bucks, the the Mavs, the Lakers, the you know a lot of these teams is they can just dump the ball down low because we talked about like with the Thunder it's like how do you lead the NBA in drives per game but you're 19th in rim percentage like you got to get shots to the paint other ways and those are just driving but and they don't take a ton of threes either of their like super godly lineups but that's just because like these mid range shooters are just unreal and I actually don't think three point Shooting is a, it's just not a problem for this team. I no. think they can adjust and take more threes. 99th percentile in terms of three point shooting talent, but I will say sixth percentile in terms of three point pull up openness, which this is a team that likes to pull up a lot. And apparently they're pulling up on insanely hard shots. Yeah. So I guess that's my thing with the Clippers. And it's kind of a reason, like, I, might pick Minnesota against them if they were to match up is I kind of just like the whole like, all right, we're going to put Ant on Leonard. We're going to put Jaden on Paul. We're going to, you know, like 
maybe play down. Like maybe we don't play a gotta go bear that series, but like, you know, like come at us like ISO against us. We're going to make this an ugly, gritty game. See in that matchup, the, the worry I have for the Timberwolves is I, the Clippers are one of the few teams that can guard their size and feel really good about it without really changing anything they do. Like if, I'm feeling great if I'm putting Kawhi on a guy like Cat, and, and then obviously you're going to play five five, and and then it goes down to like who's winning this war of attrition when it comes to their perimeter scores? Is it Mike Conley and Anthony Edwards, or is it James Harden and Paul George? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think. It's tough because in the NBA, you never know what to take from the regular season. But from the regular season so far, Minnesota has kind of been the thorn in the side of this Clippers team. Yeah, and traditionally, with this Clippers build, that's what we've seen. You know, yeah. what's what's been the biggest foil in their entire run other than the Nuggets, you know? And even, like, you think about their uh, matchups against the uh, Mavericks in the past. They struggled to guard Chris Stapps. Yeah. In those series. And I think, I think, yeah, I think, I mean, it's kind of tough. But it's a different Luka, team Luka's now. a one of one, but that's the thing that does scare you about this Clippers team is I feel like a lot of the, like, we love this team because it's like, we're just going to put Leonard and George on people and call it a day. But it's like, okay, but what happens if Leonard just can't stop the guy? Yeah. It kind of breaks the whole defense. Yeah. just But the, the nice thing about it is you've got a lot of different guys yeah. you can throw at them, you know, mm-hmm. like for, a, in a Mavericks matchup, like. Yeah, you definitely don't want Kawhi guarding Luka 100% of the time, but that's okay because they can throw Paul George at him. He's He's got plenty of size. You can, I mean, you're not loving this, but like there's a lot worse things than having James Harden on Luka for a couple possessions. At least he has the strength yeah. to deal with that matchup. Even you can blow the cobwebs off of PJ Tucker and throw him in there uh, for a couple possessions as well. Oh, man. Free PJ. Oh, man. Uh, if we can get Clippers Mavs again. Yeah, that would be, that'd be great. That would be awesome. Uh, all right. Number two, Boston Celtics. Or do you have the Nuggets? Um, I have the Nuggets. Okay. I have the Nuggets. Let's talk Nuggets first. Okay. So the Nuggets are currently 12th on offense and defense. So this team actually doesn't have the same statistical case that we've made for a lot of the teams above them. But I don't know, man. They just they still have the NBA's most unguardable play, the Murray Jokic pick and roll. Murray, Caldwell Pope, Porter, Gordon Jokic, the most played lineup in the NBA. It's plus 12.4 per 100 possessions. The bench is a huge concern. They lost Bruce Brown. Peyton Watson is probably not ready yet. Christian Brown is taking a big step back. I just, I just, when I look at the Clippers, the Timberwolves, the, the Mavs, especially, the Suns, it's just like Jokic gets the ball 10 feet from the hoop, and the answer is what? It seems like they just have this unsolvable riddle. And I think I just love that. For them. Yeah. I, you know, that's, that's kind of why I'm picking them is like, I just don't know what team is going to stop this team. Yeah. You have them at one. The yeah. I have them at one. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a really real uh, reason to put them there. In, and it's just their, their fit is so much better than any other team in the NBA. Um, we haven't seen like, I, I think they will miss that curveball that they had in, in Jeff Green lineups and being able to consistently play two bigs at a time in that, like, nowadays, they're much more dependent on Aaron Gordon back up five minutes. That's going to be their whole playoff kind of thing. And 
you know, I, I think it's a mixed bag with Aaron Gordon. He, he's such a talented player, and he really does play with so much force. But it's just the trickle-down effect of the positional size that that they won't have and won't be able to lean back on. But, I mean, Nikola Jokic is a freaking workhorse. Like, he's going to be playing 42 minutes a game come playoff time. That's uh, the thing. Jokic has shown he can play big, big big minutes and the thing with Jokic though is like what I kind of like is if he's going to be playing 44 minutes a game like every big possession Jokic lineup is crazy positive like it really can't be I, it, he's the best player in the world he's the best and player it, in there's the world. a gap right now between him and number two and, man and like really, the way he affects the game is unparalleled right now their statistical profile between this year and last year are like almost exactly the exact same on offense 118.3 points per possession the exact same as last year on defense, 114.9 uh, points per possession, which is 0.3 points worse um, than last season. It's the same team. It's like when I watch this team in their big games, like when they played the Celtics, it's just like they go to that two man game and they don't get stopped and they're just they don't make bad decisions in close games like there's no team. If it's a close game, like three minutes left between them and another team that I would pick over them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I feel that the one team that I did pick over them is the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics have been so dominant this season. They're 43 and 12. They have the best home record in the league. They are about a game back from having the best road record in the league. First offensive rating, third defensive rating. Um really like just so much star power on their team. I think Jason Tatum really kind of took a step last postseason, and I, I wish I could have seen a Game 7 with a healthy Jason Tatum. That guy is just really, 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 really good. Um, their, their starting lineup is super dominant, plus 12 points per 100 possessions, uh, point or differential, net differential. I just I, I don't have enough good things to say about them. The classic thing is the three-point variance, the three-point chucking. Um, that's always a worry, but um, they're a great team, the yeah. Boston Celtics. Honestly, as much as the big hugabaloo about this team has been that way too many threes, like my real issue with this team is just I just don't love the way they feel when it's a tie game with three minutes left just because their offense is the like create chaos lineup. It's like kind of that's their whole mantra on offense is like, we have options at all five positions, so you don't know what's coming. But I think that's kind of a problem, too, when they don't know what's coming. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you just see it sometimes in these really, really close games where it's like, ah, what's going on? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I think We have so many options. Where do we go? I, I think that's the thing. I, I wish this team could just get better at, like, some crazy Tatum action that they can just rinse and repeat. Spam. And it, they can definitely get one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what this team has. This team has an option for every everything they can win in so yeah, many, many different, different ways. ways yeah um you want to hear my big red flag yeah for the celtics okay so i just talked about their starting lineup it's been super dominant but when you take chris Stapp's porzingis off of that lineup and you put al horford in oh it's not good minus 1.9 yeah Horford's that is age a, is showing almost a 14 point net swing that's a huge problem. And Chris Stapp's Porzingis is not the picture of health yeah, throughout his career. If you're a Celtics fan, what you're really scared of is like Porzingis is like either 
you know, healthy enough to play, but not fully healthy, or he's like missing a couple games, and all of a sudden here comes Giannis, and you're yeah. like, fuck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. Even I, in a game where if if Chris Apps gets into foul trouble, which he hasn't had that problem thus far this year, I don't, I don't think. Like, just how many minutes can you survive with Al Horford in that place? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Celtics just got to be healthy. And, and that's all these teams, right? The Clippers, Leonard has to be healthy. The Celtics, they have I to mean, be healthy. The Nuggets, the if Nuggets, one of those guys Murray, in if, their starting lineup is out? Yeah, like that's, if, especially if it's Murray or Jokic. Oh, I mean, Jokic, yeah. obviously, but Mur- I don't think the Nuggets can survive a Murray injury. I don't think they could survive a Gordon injury. It would be tough. Um, yeah, all right, so those are our contenders. So your pick for the title is the Celtics? Right now, yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta lean with the Celtics. I think the the path is e- is a lot easier, um, and uh, they've just been amazing this year. I'm still rolling with the Nuggets. All right, hot streak shooting slump. Hot streak shooting slump. How has your week been this week, James? So I'm on like week two of being on a definitive shooting slump, but hot streak attitude. There we go. <laughs> Um, I don't that know. is good merch. We need that merch. <laughs> hot streak attitude. Hot streak attitude. Because like, shooting I don't know. Shooting slump reality. I was thinking about this morning. I was like, am I in a hot streak or a shooting slump? And I was like, well, my kitchen sink almost fell off and detached from the counter. I haven't found a solution to fix it. My house, it feels like it's falling apart. It's been raining every day this week. But you know what? Like, I don't know. I'm in a good mood. So I'm going to say I'm on a hot streak. There we go. There we go. Um, I've been on a hot streak as well. Um, I have, my life has finally calmed down a little bit. Um, I had a sold out improv show in LA this weekend, which was a complete surprise. Like I, you never know if like, we don't really do pre-sale tickets. So it's just like whoever shows up and there people were standing. It was great. I was, I was loving it. There's no better feeling than that. Um, and then just, you know, had a little bit more downtime, started watching love is blind absolutely crazy this season a lot of psychopaths highly recommend one of my people talking about ad's body oh my god that (laughs) that yeah one of the girls is named ad which is really like i can never not think of anthony davis when they say her name but um pretty good season so far they're just leaving the pods for me right now i'm not completely caught up um for those of you that are watching along with me but um, yeah, just generally a, a pretty good, pretty good week. How how you feeling, Max? Slump City over no! here. Oh <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't know. It's just been like rainy. Uh, not a couple of things have fallen through for me that I was excited about. Um, you know, <laughs> just not not the best week so far. But you know what? I, I like your your hot streak mentality. I'm going to try to adopt that. <laughs> hot streak mentality. You know, Even if you have a sh- shooting slump reality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm optimistic that things will will turn around this weekend and next week. But uh, yeah, actually a slumpy week for sure. You know what? The, the one thing that really could have derailed my week because it just it's just like annoyed. Oh, this goes back to the insurance check thing I talked about last week. You know, the like we all know it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So these scumbags um they i was like okay who do i mail this to they're like so if you mail it to this address they'll mail it back to you normal but if you mail it to this address with a one-day delivery they'll one day it back to you i'm like great man that's awesome so i one day it to that address i'm like where's my check where's my check so i call them and the lady's like no actually we always two two day mail it to you and i was like 
so it doesn't matter where I mailed it or how long it took for my mail to get there. They're going to two day it back to me no matter what. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, so what the fuck? And she's like, well, Liars. you were given misinformation. I'm like, bro, I spoke to two separate people who told me that. Like, screw you, Select Portfolio Servicing. Hey. Screw you. You piece of shit. Yeah, that's my, that's my, uh, the slump of my I hate week. that. I hate, I hate them. Yeah. I feel like I'm on the precipice of a uh, shooting slump, though, because I'm about to watch the Suns Mavs game with James tonight. And whenever I watch the Suns with friends, I know they'll disappoint. So, <laughs> so we'll see how I'm that excited goes. for this. I feel like this is going to be a very telling game for both teams. Oh, yeah. Like, how do the Suns deal with the team that can put a quality big on the floor for 48 minutes? How do the Mavs defend? Is the Mavs spacing real? Tonight will determine that. Tonight. All the answers. All the answers will be shown tonight. Yeah. All right. I guess we're going to wrap the episode. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys on Monday. Peace.